Hello and welcome to Angel's Costumes Behind the Scenes. I'm Jeremy Angel. I'm Jonathan Littman. And I'm Richard Green. Um, today we're going to be playing my um, interview with Chris Silk. Chris Silk is our head of military department now, but he started as an apprentice. Um, he's, I checked this, he started when he was 18, he's now 27, so he's been with us for nine years. Um, from apprentice to head of uniform department, ain't a bad step in nine years, but he stepped up very well to the mark and um, when Tom Stiles left a little while ago, Chris was the natural successor. Partly because they both wear weird fish t-shirts, have not particularly good beards and the same kind of tall, lanky sense of humour. It's just to, to benefit the people when they see him in the distance, they shout Tom, they, they think they've got the right person. <laughs> he gets very upset as well, because they still do. But it, it's interesting how, how it ties in with the interview that we did at the start with Shelley yeah. and the programme of internship and and what can ensue from that no definitely and the thing i found really interesting which i forgot about chris and his training is he trained as a um, civilian costumer to begin with before richard and tom were allowed to get their hands on him yes yeah well, well he came in as part of the interview process and we established fairly early on that he was he was interested in sort of military modeling and and things like that but he yeah he did the first i think it's first three months he did as as a sort of general apprentice downstairs and then uh, then we moved him up to the uniform and then six months in the bedroom <laughs> always got to do six. <laughs> or was that six years in the bedroom yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's been with us nine years six six of those years is in the bedroom no 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 everybody is as big a mess as it started <laughs> everybody has to start and finish it's the tidy now it is tidy now. The the training he talks about in the side room is our shapes training that we used to do all the train with all the trainees and the apprenticeship. And the way that works, because I I've sat on sat in on those, is I found it really really clever because they'd have six mannequins in front of them for the period they were covering, and then the next day when they came in, the last either the last the first one or the first one and two were the same from the last day, so you could see the evolution of how the costume and the shape changed, which I found a really great way of teaching and showing people the shape and how, mm. why it changed or how. Mm. how. How did the training start for military, Richard? Sorry, that's another way. I know how the civilian training goes, but military training, how do you learn all the different things or is it just something it's just osmosis as you get the jobs kicked down the aisles <laughs> go and sort out 75 pairs of boots and make sure they're clean um I, uh, it's a very very good question you went to a public um, school you know how these things work <laughs> well exactly yeah were you in the otc um <laughs> have you ever at any time done a war game on a ball um <laughs> do do you like second world war films okay lad you're in um it, it certainly is true that I've had people in the department who had absolutely no experience or concept of uniforms at all. Um, Angela Golding is a, is a classic example of that. And, and she became, uh, you know, one of our really key members of that department. So, of course, you can teach people things. It certainly helps if you know your conflict histories and if you know sort of, you know, dates of kings and queens and when a, when a king, what a king's crown is, and what a queen's crown is. All of this can be taught. But you do have to have, and I'm sure Jonathan will agree, you do have to have a special kind of aptitude. You certainly do. (laughs) (laughs) And it's also true that we've had throughout all of my time we've had technical advisors that we could we could ring up and ask things i mean john mollo was always very good brian davis was a, a technical advisor of ours for a long time and, and tom's available tom styles and of course we talked to the guys at the uniform 
museums, you know, National Army Museum and the Imperial War Museum, if, we, if we've got queries. But it is slightly different to civilian costuming, as I'm sure Jonathan will agree. You know, it is more about the detail and getting things right, rather than the the appearance is important. Of course it is, because it's got to look smart and it's got to look fitting and it's got to look correct. But there isn't that kind of leeway of interpretation of fashion and well, okay, this person is 1850, but they haven't been able to afford a new set of clothes for 15 years. So actually we can make them a little retro and all, and all of those things. That doesn't really apply in our case. You know, if the uniform changes at a particular date, then if we do a soldier in the following year, he needs to be in the new uniform. We hope you've been enjoying these conversations. We've been enjoying your feedback. If you have any questions, please email us on podcast at angels.co.uk. Or you can visit our website, which is www.angelsbehindthescenes.com. Or you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are forward slash costume podcast. And here is Richard's chat with Chris Silk. Hello, my name is Richard Green, production director of Angels Costumes. Today I'm going to be speaking to Chris Silk, who is now our head of uniform department. As we've said in the past, the purpose of some of these podcasts is to give somebody an idea of how to get into the business and what the business actually consists of and how it functions. Chris is a very good example of somebody who came to us in a fairly standard way, and I'm going to let him talk about how he found us, how we found him, and how the whole process went. So, Chris, hi. Hello. Hello. How did you actually discover Angels? I discovered it through the uh, apprenticeship that I think it was Amersham and Wickham College was offering. Right. You were at Amersham and Wickham College, or was it just something that you, you, you found on their website? I was not. I'd just done my first year at university, mm-hmm. which I hadn't particularly enjoyed. I was kind of having a sort of crisis of identity of like, what am I going to do with myself? I'd been given an ultimatum by my mother at the time <laughs> to, kind of, to figure something out or right. consequences will happen. Um, <laughs> Mothers have a lot to answer for. We were talking the other day about um, about the way Jonathan got into the business and indeed the way I got into the business. And my mother found an advert. Jonathan's mother spoke to Tim's wife, Eleanor. Um, so yes, mums, <laughs> if anybody listening out here, if you want a job, the way to do it is through your mother. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, I interrupted. to carry on. No, that's absolutely fine. Um, so I just sort of thought, well, what what can I possibly do with myself? So I just had a look at apprenticeship courses and indeed stumbled upon this one that talked about angels. Uh, I think it originally the tagline was uniforms and sort of outfits and that kind of thing. I'll be honest, the only reason I clicked on it is because very close to where I live, there happens to be a school and scout uniform shop called Angels that supply to the uh, the local school uniforms and uh, scout associations. So I clicked on it, thinking, why on earth are they offer- offering apprenticeships? It's just a it's a it's a, uh, it's a shop. Sorry, is it like a high street shop then? This one, this is where it's an accredited school and scout uniform supplier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was complete fluke. Obviously, upon clicking several other hyperlinks into the uh, little application, I realised that this wasn't the little shop that I knew about. <laughs> it was uh, something far bigger. Did you know beforehand what a theatrical costume was? I touched briefly on it doing drama A level. Right. So I knew that you know there was a kind of industry in it. I couldn't name any. I just assumed at the time that because um, I know that places at the, like the Globe had their own sort of in-house costume sort of wardrobe as it were. Yeah. Otherwise, 
I just assumed like people did what we did for the Alo. Like if you wanted a specific thing, you had to go out of your way and try and buy something or find something or borrow from your parents' wardrobe. Presumably not your mother's in this particular season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know that. Um, right, so... <laughs> that's a different story altogether. <laughs> yes, that's a separate podcast. Um <laughs> So you you found the apprenticeship then, and you think it said you because uh, the reason I ask this is because I actually know, of course, I know the history and how we got you. But uh, did it actually say costume and uniforms at that point? It it I clicked on it. I think it it I definitely remember it. Maybe not on the first thing. I think it just said angel sort of apprenticeship, and right. I was like, really angel. But if I, upon looking down, kind of like the spiel in terms of what sort of things are you interested in? It definitely said there, uniforms. Okay. Um, and sort of like, you know, if, if you enjoy sort of military and other things, uh-huh. which is one of the reasons why I thought, well, hey, why not pop off an application? Because you had an interest in uniforms? Well, I'd always I'd always been interested in history, certainly, from that. It was mainly towards military history. Right. But as far as costume, as I had had a very brief introduction during A-level drama, but otherwise I hadn't really gone into the kind of... So, so you applied for this, and, and am I right in thinking there was a series of... There were, there were sort of various hurdles you had to jump over, but eventually there was an interview at, at Hendon, wasn't there? Yes. Let's go from there. Well, there was a big open day as well okay. at Hendon. Initially, from that, you were... Which I, I must admit, I arrived late to. Mm, okay. Um. Good start. <laughs> Yeah, I know, which is one of the reasons why I decided, right, okay, I've got to really try and get some brownie points back at this point. So I really strove to make my mark myself out okay. from there. And this was at the open day, was it? So how many people this how many, at, this was at the how many people were there then, roughly? Oh, it was the whole canteen. The old canteen was full. Uh, I got to say there was about, uh, there must have been 100 or so. I think that's probably the way we do we do work it. We, we, we have a fairly sort of broad approach. We bring a lot of people in. We then, well, again, Chris, you you can say what happened on that particular open day. It was very it was very interesting. I say it was basically like kind of operates how the Angels tour works, um, except there's lots of separate groups all going around talking about things, and I decided to chip in where I thought was appropriate. And it was say when we bought, I was be I remember my sort of person that was leading me around was a chap called Mike Hodge. Oh yeah, yep, yep. Um, and yeah, he. he we got into the the uniforms bit. It was all very nice up to that point. We got into the uniforms bit, and it was just like, yes, this this is amazing. So I really kind of perked up at this point. And Mike uh, picked up on that. And in fact, um, I believe he mentioned to uh, Tom Styles, who was the head of military at the time, that I was interested in in uniforms. So he he Tom then approached me after the sort of touring bit was over, and uh, he came and had a chat chat with me. Because again, um, just so everybody knows, the way the the way these things work is that we we take various groups of people around we we go through all the applications decide which ones we like the look of and the sound of and then then we subdivide those on the particular open day and groups of us will take smaller groups of of applicants around normally there are two of the angel staff at each of those groups listening to what the applicants have to say and as chris has just said mike obviously picked up on the fact that you were interested in the uniform side that sort of got your juices flowing a bit um and then at that point he spoke to tom and we sort of had a a separate conversation with you that was the case wasn't it yes so i remember having a sort of 
when I came back for the interview, and then I had a kind of separate sub-interview with you and Tom in your, in yeah. your office, I remember. Yeah, I remember. That's yeah. right. And the rest, almost, as they say, is history. So so oh, yes. basically, you, you, had the, you had the open day, you then had an interview afterwards, and we offered you a job. Yes, it was, it was, it was okay. very, great. And once, once we'd got you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> once, once we got our hooks into you, <laughs> were you... We function a number of ways of training. One one of the ways we do it, obviously, is um, is on the job training. So basically, um, you'll start as a as a very very junior junior member of a of a department, and you'll basically learn how things are and where things are as as it as it goes along. Is that what we did with you? Yes. So I started off. Uh, so I was in in the September. I joined twenty twelve. Twenty twelve. Yeah. Um, so it was post all of the uh, Olympic Games stuff that was exciting that you guys did. Mm-hmm. Yep. Initially, I worked in the costume department as opposed to uniforms. This was to kind of gel me in with the rest of the other with the other apprentices because there was four of us in total. So sorry, I'm interrupting again, but you no. were part of the apprenticeship scheme that we yes. were running at that point. But we'd already sort of made a note of the fact that you were interested in uniforms, and that's yes. the department that we we would probably want to try and fit you in. Yeah. But you did start downstairs. Did start downstairs again. If you if you don't know the building, there are basically two two levels. The main costume level is is on the ground floor the military department occupies the mezzanine floor so when i say downstairs that's that's where the civilian costumes are <laughs> so you started downstairs in in the civilian department with the other with the other apprentices yes yeah basically doing what was the, well the thing that they get every sort of trainee new person literally i was shown sure first of all done another sort of show around got shown i think my first rail i had to sort out was men's 1920s dress dinnerware so it was basically just straightening out but like djs and yes, djs and exactly tail, evening stuff. tail suits stuff like that and it was just yeah. straightening out the rails yeah. learning this is this is where men's 20s sort of evening dress stuff is because i say if you don't okay one of the key things certainly from when i when we get new people certainly upstairs now is just if you don't know where things are in the building it doesn't work it doesn't work frankly does it you know so, so somebody says go to the 1920s <laughs> men's evening wear and go and pull me a 42 inch chest jacket if you don't actually know where that is <laughs> you, you you've got a bit of <laughs> bit of a problem going on so you were learning the yeah. layout of the building where things were beginning to straighten things up, looking at shapes, deciding that that particular uh, lapel shape wasn't really right for 1920s. It really belonged in the 1960s. Well, on that note, say every... I can't remember when it properly started, and I I can't remember the volume at which it happened, but there was a sort of... Every afternoon, each week, we'd all of these sort of like trainees and apprentices all get pulled aside into a side office and there would be a group of mannequins laid out and we also were given a handout um, sort of explaining the kind of key points that separates this particular style of suit from say a 40s one from a 50s one right um, and we did a whole load of those say a sort of span from I don't necessarily think we did a huge amount of sort of ancient Rome but we sort of starting from sort of medieval really up to uh, the sort of 60s, 70s, up to contemporary. And and these were sort of mini tests or mini yeah. sort of lessons about different shapes and, yeah. and, and how shapes changed and, and particular periods have particular widths of lapel, for argument's sake, yes. or trousers. Yeah. and things on it as well. Okay. Um, and it, this was, they did a separate one for men's and a separate one for women's. Did you do both? 
I did. And those went on on a sort of a, what a, so during the week you'd be working in the warehouse on various yep. productions or, or, or sorting out things and tidying things. And then once a week there would be a sort of a concentrated lesson on, let's call it shapes. Yeah. Of different, different sort of styles of, of costume, depending on the eras. Okay. Mm. And you were assessed on that, presumably. People would think yes, you were. Yes, we got the guy that was running it one point sort of said, okay, once we'd done, I think we'd finished doing sort of medieval up to Georgian. And he based the guy that was doing it gave us all a king to do. Right. So I think I got Henry the Seventh. So I had to kind of make a mannequin, get appropriate accoutrements and things and build it and make it make it look pretty. And yeah, that was that was kind of the uh, the test. Uh, this was to kind of see if you could fit the mannequin, if it, you know, didn't have stains and things on it, and if indeed it was the correct kind of appropriate shape for the style that it was going for. Right. So, so it was a sort of a shape and a quality assessment then to yeah. make sure that you actually, you know, didn't get the first, the first particular, first particular robe of that period and stick it on thinking that will do when it had a terrible rip down the back or somebody has spilled indeed, coffee yeah. down it. Okay, fine. Good, good, good. And was that daunting? Did you enjoy that, or was it? I did enjoy it immensely. It was daunting, uh, but it was also great fun doing it because it was like finally this is a chance to now actually get in to the the stock, pull things out for the purposes of you know putting something together. Because up until yeah. that point, I don't think I'd had that opportunity yet. It was literally just straightening and tidying, uh, which is important. Mm. I mean, we've we've said in some of these previous interviews that really you need to get the fundamentals, and and you you have to expect that you're going to need to put a certain amount of time in, um, yeah. just working on those basics and fundamentals. Were you also being taught things like measuring costumes at this point? There was certainly a meeting that I had at one point about special, certainly for measuring trousers, because apparently, say, the guy doing it had a real bee in his bonnet about the proper way of measuring trousers, which is to measure the in from the inside of the trousers. So you have to stick the tape measure in to get the true measurement of the trouser. Right. So I'd certainly had that as a lesson, yes. Mm -hmm. And what was the first production that you that you worked on, either with, or, first of all, with somebody else? What was the first one you think, oh, my God, I'm working on... Dad's Army, or whatever it was. What was it? You know, I genuinely don't think I can remember my first one that I did with someone. Um, okay. So in, by the turn of the new year, so 2013, was when I went up to uniforms. And that was a whole different set of learning. It wasn't just about learning shapes. You know, I had to learn about dress regulations and yeah. patterns yeah. and things. So. Oh, I love our dress regulations. So, <laughs> so you did... So, you sort of did a three-month general apprenticeship yeah. chunk downstairs. Um, and then I got specialised. Yeah, yeah, because we'd, we'd already sort of marked out the fact that, that you were the sort of person that we, we did want in the uniform department. And again, I think it's very true to say, and it's, it's not a, a reflection or a criticism of, of either side, but there are costumiers that do remarkably well with civilian clothing, um, yeah. but those costumiers sometimes aren't as comfortable with uniforms and and the same is certainly true in my case i'm far more comfortable working with uniform theatrical costumes than i am with civilian uh, you'll probably agree with me but with you know you've mentioned dress regulations you either get it right or you don't get it right yeah um, i say there's books books are a lovely thing so you've got i mean certain reading through certain dress regulations it goes in a roundabout way of saying that it doesn't have a sort of notched lapel as opposed to a 
<laughs> another kind <laughs> yeah. of ex- ex- that's half a page worth of just getting to the point but at least you've got that physical kind of written down do's and don'ts yes and you can always argue you know with, with a civilian costume well okay we know that in this particular exactly. period trouser widths got wider but people would have still kept their their old suits so the trouser would be narrow whereas with a uniform it changes it changes yeah um, there's no you know there's very rarely a sort of gradual gradual switch so you went into the uniform department and at that point presumably the sort of the the formal lesson side of this has gone by this point you're you're learning on the job very much yes and i was very lucky in the sense that people that had been in that department that i was sort of directly under it was a smaller department anyway so you got to know everybody pretty quickly but as i say i was fortunate because the people most of the people that have been working there had been working there for well over 10 years or so so their knowledge was vast and they knew exactly what they were doing Mm. And again, again, a point about that is that 10 years of experience in the uniform department, to a certain extent, means knowing what you can get away with and what you can't get away <laughs> with. Uh, I think that's also true, isn't it? You know, that yeah. we are first and foremost a costumeers. We're not a museum. We're not a, a, a regimental museum or, or the National Army Museum or anything like that. So there is a certain amount of leeway that we have. It's important to get everything correct. Of course it is. But there are degrees of, of correctness, if, if you like. Yeah. So how many people were in the department at that point? About five? It was five of us. Five, yeah. And oh, down- sorry, six. With sure. you. Yes. And and downstairs, there were probably about double that, I suppose, possibly even a few more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. good. I want to say 15 or so. I might be exaggerating. In the uniform department, and again, don't forget, this is to give people an idea of what it's actually like and yep. behind the scenes. But describe roughly what you saw when you first went into that department on your tour. I mean, things have changed a bit now with reshuffling of stock, but it was just a wall wall of block colour, which, aesthetically speaking, is very nice. (laughs) Look, you've got a block of um, sort of 18th century British redcoats, then next to them you've got a block of British redcoat Napoleonic. So, yeah, it it was just something that you can do with uniforms, is that whole kind of regulation kind of uniformity of just like, uh, boom, British 18th century stuff then British 19th century stuff, and then uh, progressing into First World War, Second World War. You're right, we hang it in period, we hang it in colour, we do that with the civilian clothing as well, but it's far more impactful, if that's Mm. a word, um, when when you get into the uniform department and see, yeah, 200... 1815 Battle of Waterloo, redcoat tunics hanging there. And, of course, let's not forget the bedroom. Well, yeah, the bedroom, yeah. As I say, the, the little treasure that a lot of people actually don't see or know about until they actually physically come up and we have we have to go in there and sort of say people sort of come to me and say oh because there's, there's a lot of times where people will want sort of like little breast badges or order badges even if it's not going on a uniform and so you sort of go okay what kind do you sort of diplom- or, diplomats yeah. or, or people at court you yeah. know victoria's so court you bring them in yeah. the amount of times they always sort of go oh my god wow mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> like all this, all this organized little boxes in here uh, well paint me a, paint me a picture of the bedroom tell me about the bedroom and don't tell me about the ba- the reality of the bedroom <laughs> badges out on the table and boxes out and t- tell tell me describe to so us the how bedroom it, is full of little cubby holes little drawers and in each of the drawers are so i think we've got a system now where we have got the uh, the badges taped to the front or a picture of said badge taped to the front as well as 
writing on what it is but you can from the bedroom you can construct uh, a person uh, if you take say we're talking about what i what i call sometimes the biography yeah. of, a, of a of a of a soldier of, a, of an actor playing a soldier so yeah sorry chris interrupted um, well yes yeah, so i say from exactly the biography of a soldier so if we take sort of a, a second world war soldier at arnhem you can see you've got plenty of options to play with. You sort of say, okay, right, how old is he? Is he likely have seen service in the First World War as well as the Second World War? In which case, he's going to have some First World War medals as well as maybe a valedictory medal, say, he earned in the Second World War. Um, is he a paratrooper or is he an armoured or is he an infantry? Depending on that, that'll dictate what kind of division patches he has. You know, what rank is he? That'll dictate his... Um, pips or chevrons or what have you yeah and from that you know once you know about those things you can then assign him a beret or a helmet or a jacket or whatever so it's not it's not really an exaggeration is it to say that we can cater for most most units certainly of the british armed forces um quite a lot of the american and of course the german because the the you know world war ii hasn't really gone away in the in the wonderful world of, of film and television um yeah. it's still a still a, a period and a, and a conflict that that people like to make productions about russian and french certainly and then we start getting a little more obscure but there are you yeah. know it's, it's a compre- it's a large comprehensive collection of badges and insignia of uniforms of the world pretty much yeah, and so the amount of times you can use a badge for more than three or five different things, because the amount of things that... So the eagle, although there are different styles of eagle, the amount of armies of, in at different times or at different parts of the world that have had some sort of eagle as their emblem, you can use the same kind of eagle for several different things. Sure. Staggering, sure. really. Yeah. And I think, in a way, the, the uniform department should be a separate podcast if, if ever there is time but what i want to do is get back to your training and your starting again yes what advice to anybody listening to this thinking well this sounds really great i think i'd like to work in the uniform <laughs> department at, um, at, at at angels what advice would you would you give them what do you what do you think their their best move would be best move for uniforms is well and indeed army things in general it doesn't have to be army navy air force oh and also not just touching on military we do police and fire brigade and trains and that kind of thing as well yes i mean we we used to we used to call it the military department we now call it the uniform department because apart from the um the youth organizations we we cover as you say all the all the civil organizations the airlines and and trains and police of the world and and fire brigades and things like that so yes it's the uniform department so somebody wanting to come and work for you for us in that department what, what do you think they need first of all well as i've already proved is you don't necessarily need to have a massively over the uh, in-depth knowledge on what uniforms are maybe have mm. the sort of broadest outline like you could tell a second world war soldier away from a uh, napoleonic one that kind yes of stuff. yes um as i say a lot of the stuff reason i got into it you know i watched a lot of war films or i'd uh, played a lot of historically based video games as well um <laughs> as much as they can't necessarily be taken yeah, as it, exact it, it, but yeah. most of them do follow some sort of standard in quotation marks let's say we, we have we have video game people that come into us and basically borrow a uniform so they can get into their games yes i mean in my day of course it was playing with toy soldiers and um and airfix well airfix yes exactly that, soldiers that, and that, things, that as well 
Yeah. And I suppose, uh, you know, a, a history, a, a grounding in history certainly wouldn't come amiss, would it? You know, if, oh, yeah, you, you, if you know that the Napoleonic Wars were this particular period and you know when the Second World War was, then that certainly helps as well. But yeah. the, the, the sort of the costuming basics, the measuring and all of those things we can teach. Yep. Um, in many ways, we don't particularly want people who who are fully acquainted with the minutiae of, of of uniform sometimes because as i said earlier that hasn't really what we're, what we're all about we're all about creating an illusion a believable uniform for a for a for a drama absolutely and sometimes certain costume productions don't necessarily want it 100 percent accurate that's true anyway Basically, an interest and an enthusiasm, I suppose, are, oh, yeah, are, are the two things that, that people need. And um, 2012 to 2020, from mm. apprentice to head of uniform department, it's pretty good. That's <laughs> very good. It's very good indeed. Um, so, Chris, I think, unless there's anything else you, you, you want to sort of add to that, I think that's that's perfect. I think we can... Well, so I say, other than, I don't necessarily remember the first job I did with someone, but I do remember the first big show I did on my own. Go on then. It was something called Garsington Opera. I think it, the production was Vert Vert. Right. That's what I want to say. Um, and indeed, they didn't. Well, we didn't have it anyway. They what they needed was nineteenth-century um, French dragoons, which we didn't actually have. So I had to come up with an idea outside the box, kind of thinking, "Hey, what have we got that we can do a set of?" That will acquaint for opera singers who aren't known for their 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 slimline <laughs> and svelte shapes. Because um. <laughs> uh, I had to clothe an entire chorus. Right. I can't remember what I did. I think I did some sort of shako for the hat. But in the end, I ended up using British Guards uniforms, but changed the insignia on the collars and the eps, and changed the buttons to make them French. Just gave them French uh, insignia. Right. Um, yeah, because guards' uniforms were quite big. Uh, we had a lot of them. It seemed like a quick and easy fix, and the, say, the designer was happy with it. So off we went. Excellent. You're talking about the guards' guards' uniforms, as in outside Buckingham Palace. Yes, sorry, yes, British. British yes, 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 yes. The ones, the ones we then had to turn back into guards' uniforms, yes. so we could, However, so we could use them helpful, on the crowd. As a helpful way, you could, you know, which are the largest size guards' uniforms because they currently had French insignia on them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just look for the French buttoned ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, there's a whole conversation about what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do with with British current British Army uniforms. You know, we don't really supposed to depict um, a guards uniform as one of the five regiments of guards. We have to mix them up a little bit. But um, again, that's possibly another conversation. But so, Garsington Opera. Garsington Opera. Mm. Funny, isn't it? The first first show I ever did was uh, was with musicians. Um, yeah. They were mostly nightclub musicians, so they invariably their tummies were bigger than their chests, and I had to yes. do I had to do them as guards guards bandsmen <laughs> as well. So maybe it's maybe it's a rite of passage thing. You know, maybe, oh, maybe we all have to start on large <laughs> size large size musicians. Anyway, Chris, thank you very much for that. I've thoroughly no enjoyed it again, and. Um, well, I'll see you very soon, of course, but uh, yes. yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Great. No worries. Take care. Cheers, Chris. Bye. Bye-bye. That was a great interview, Richard. It was nice to finally, as Jonathan said at the beginning, go sort of, not full circle, but at least the next step along from Shelley's and into someone who's gone from apprentice all the way to running a department now. And yeah. Yeah. I think 
I think you can t- you can tell from the interview as well just how much Chris enjoys what he does and enjoyed the experience. I've got one thing to say mm-hmm. as a result of listening to Chris's interview to to Richard, blind man on a gallop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, and ultimately, Jonathan, you're quite right. To a blind man on a galloping horse, the detail on that particular button is completely and utterly irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but when a sighted man who's walking along the road comes across that, then it might be slightly different. Um, it's a great phrase, isn't it? Kate Turner of Granada TV um, used to say it quite mm. a lot. You know, A blind man on a galloping horse would be glad to see the difference between that and that. That's a great statement. I don't think I've ever heard that before, but when talking about detail and military, what a really interesting good statement that is. I think the first I think the first occasion that I heard that was uh, I was working on a drama for Granada uh, about based on the Birmingham City. Oh yes, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was an issue in terms of the in, in emerging from the rubble of the of the uh, oh point of the destruction and um there was a there was a challenging kind of well what what actually what the what were the badges right for the police and um dust and the smoke and the Mm. the chaos that they that that, that was written into the narrative and out came that expression and it sort of never left me in terms of what 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 actually the audience will see yes and that that was her that was her response in in the sense of you know we're we're driving ourselves mad here to try and get it right but actually blind man on a galloping no and of course you know in 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 many in many many instances that's exactly that's exactly the approach we should take not that i want to offend any blind men or horse riders indeed or jockeys. Well, I mean, he doesn't just... say anything about horse riding. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> well, I suppose he could be tied. I suppose, well, I suppose he could be tied actually. to The blind man is on a yeah, galloping horse. Yeah, he could be horse. tied to it. He wouldn't necessarily be in control of the damn thing. In fact, thinking about it, it's highly <laughs> unlikely that he would be. I should, think, I should think the last thing that this proverbial blind man on this particular galloping horse would be no. worrying about is whether the badges are correct as he flashes past the TV screen. <laughs> exactly. Come for the costume talk, stay for the English grammar and quotation analysis. <laughs> but nonetheless, that doesn't mean that I haven't spent the last however many decades trying to get it right and ensuring that it is correct so that when somebody who isn't is capable of seeing it at, at a normal speed, they think, yeah, that's right, that looks convincing. And of course, we have we have touched on this before, yeah. this whole thing about clearances now and having permission to use the correct badges. It is an interesting point, though, which um, I suppose is the, the, the reason for that quotation, which is we spend ages de- looking at the detail and everything, and originally ha- what detail would have been seen, but that's probably changed now with more clarity and bigger screens. Yeah, I mean, again, Kate, Kate was talking in the context of television screens, which, you know, back then probably were no more than yeah. about 22, 24 inches max. Um, and it's a slightly different thing if you're talking about a cinema screen where everything's you know, larger and larger yeah. and larger than so, um, so yeah, a, a television. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to labour this point any further. But this proverbial <laughs> man galloping past a TV screen is slightly different as if he was going if he was going through one of the big sort of multiplexes. All joking aside, the the point is is that essentially, in order for a decision to be made as to what is finally used, you need to know what the correct attire should be. And that goes, that's a, that's a universal 
statement based on civilian as well as uniform so that you can make that artistic choice whatever it might be you need to know what it what the actuality yeah. is i mean it's, it's that it's yeah. that thing i said in one of those early interviews about you know, you need to know what's correct before you can before you can twist yeah. it or you can make a change yeah it, 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 it's all to do with informed decisions isn't it rather than just kind and the process of, they're in yeah yeah. The next conversation we're going to be releasing is my conversation with Vivine Campbell. Vivine is a supervisor who I've actually known since she was a trainee. She came into the industry on a program called FT2. And it's a great chat with one of the nicest, friendliest people you can work with, who is just, she's always calm. And if you ever see Vivine stressed or anything, you know something's really, really wrong. But it was a lovely chat to have. What's FT2 stand for? Financial Times supplement well, no, that's what i thought <laughs> ft2 used to be a training program it stood for film television training and they would put people within the departments for a two-year course and you'd be rotated around all the different departments on the film set for one year and then you'd sort of specialize for the final year in your department so the costume people would train in camera lighting and things like that. But we go into it in the conversation. It, it was a great it was a great course that used to exist and does no more. Oh, I look forward to hearing it. And here is a small excerpt of my conversation with Vivian Campbell. Even though crowd is really important, there's a little bit of there's not so much pressure on you as crowd and you can get to be more you can your more creative side can come out because as a person you sort of build a story within a story so you could be fitting an extra uh, essay sorry and you've made up a story with your other peers to how that person should look and it's just a bit more you're more in more, more hands-on when you crowd supervising and I love doing a good getting and a good get out and the setup and all that so I'm a bit, it's a bit strange, but I do enjoy 